Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at a message called The Savior is Born, Luke chapter 2. I was driving around doing some last-minute shopping, as I'm known for, and uh, anybody want to confess? Anybody out there today, too? Cool. And I heard a lady tell a story. She said uh, she had a Christmas, uh, one season at Christmas when she was a child, she was always very curious about the presents under the tree. And so she decided that she was going to sneak a glimpse and see what was given to her at Christmas time. So she said that she carefully opened each present and was able to see the edge of the box and see what was in each present. And then she carefully closed the boxes after she had done this stealth mission. She said it was the worst Christmas ever. No surprises, nothing. And she said all her parents did to make her feel better was laugh at her. Because <laughs> it's one of those good life lessons, right? So hopefully you're going to have some neat surprises as you open presents. It's a, it's a blessing to see how many presents we often have under the tree. Uh, each year my wife and I say we're going to do less this year. Can anybody relate to this? We're not going to do as much. And then we start. It seems like this, it's kind of a snowball uh, effect. Oh, this person, oh, that per oh, that person got me something, oh. And so, yeah, we're all in the same boat. But we have a great present that we want to talk about uh, tonight. And that present is Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you for each precious person that's come out tonight. Thank you for the, the word of God that we can share tonight, the Christmas story is in our Bibles. It's the greatest story ever told. It's not just a story, it's reality, Lord. Embedded in the very history in which we live, it was prophetically spoken by prophets. The Bible even says angels long to look into these things. And one night in Bethlehem, he was born. The one, the long-awaited Messiah. We saw glimpses in the Old Testament but it, was, it wasn't always clear, would he be a king? Would he be one who would die for us? And the truth is, it's both. He is the king, he is the redeemer, he is king of kings and lord of lords, and I pray he'll be king in each of our hearts tonight, and that you'll bless the message as it goes forth and give us ears to hear, a heart that's softened, Lord, whatever we may be facing, whatever we're going through, whatever the hustle and bustle has been for us to get here, we just pray we'll take a deep breath and be able to drink in now your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you and we love you, and we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I mentioned, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ is rooted in the genealogy that's in the Bible. It's predicted in prophecy, embedded in history and realized and experienced by real people. The story that you read in your Bible was experienced by real people. Mary and Joseph, as they made their way to Bethlehem, had already been through a lot of stuff. Mary was pregnant, and of course, her pregnancy was highly unexpected. She was betrothed to Joseph. Um, they had very little social contact during that betrothal time, and it was during that time that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had to go through his own struggles, Mary as well. 
One thing I was thinking about is when you think about Mary and you think about the nine months that she carried the Christ child, that had to be an incredible time. She was probably trying to fully fathom what it meant to have Jesus Christ, God's Son, within her. The angel had told her that it would be a supernatural birth. The angel had told her, and Joseph was also told in a dream, what to name the child. They would call him Jesus. His name literally means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. So she had an idea. And I know uh, all of you who are out there who are mothers, you know, you go through a very special time as you go through a pregnancy, and it can be hard and challenging. And scholars uh, who, you know, have looked at the history of Israel, looked at the scriptures, have said that Mary was probably only about 14 years old when she went through this. I want you to just take, take a moment to imagine what it would be like to be a young peasant girl at 14 carrying the long-awaited Messiah. Having to try to explain to Joseph what happened, although God took care of that. And then having a long journey to go to Bethlehem. We're told in the early part of Luke's gospel, uh, these words, this is Luke 2, verse 1, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. I just want you to notice that the Bible doesn't say once upon a time this happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's rooted in history. We know the, uh, the ruler of the time, he was a Caesar of Rome. His name was Caesar Augustus. In fact, his name means that he claimed to be divine. He claimed to be some sort of God, and he wanted a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. Rome was dominating the world at the time. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. You have another uh, government official named there. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city or his own hometown. Everybody had to go. You have two rulers who are named here, and this has been an interesting year, politically speaking. We know there's been a lot of tension in terms of politics. There's, a, there's been a lot of tension with the election and government and a lot of unhappy people. And Rome finally had brought a certain peace. In fact, they say under Augustus Caesar, there had been about a 20-year peace but it was a forced peace. It was called Pax Romana. It was a peace where they would literally bludgeon anybody who got in their way. So you could call it sort of a pseudo peace. And there were many people that were not happy with the government. The people of Israel were not happy because they were under Roman occupation. They were actually occupied by a foreign oppressor. You can imagine that for a moment. That's the time they lived in. And they were forced to go to their hometown because of this foreign oppressor. And one of the things that I was just thinking of as I approached this text is that I think we all realize that government is not the answer. We're going to find the answer in the one on whose shoulders rests the government, the true government. You see, there was a prophecy given about Jesus that a son would be given and the government would rest upon his shoulders. He's the answer. He's the prince of peace. And, and the only way we're really going to have peace is by looking to him. We live in a world, we all, we all been, have been watching what's been happening with the attacks in various places and people now using trucks and that kind of thing to cause devastation. We live in an uncertain world and it's that world that Jesus came into. The time that he entered the world was not a pleasant time for many people. And it was a hard time for Joseph and Mary. And Joseph, verse 4, also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. It's two Hebrew words, Beit Lachem, and it's house, and then the word Lachem is bread, because he, that is Joseph, was of the house and family of David. The Bible is very careful to document the lineage of Jesus so that he is from the proper family. He came in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. To travel from the area of Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which is just below Jerusalem, was about a 90-mile journey. This is before the wise men came, so that means that Joseph and Mary were very poor, and there's some doubt as to whether or not they could even afford a beast of burden. There's some doubt that whether or not she had to walk the whole distance. And so that would be an 80 or 90 mile trek. And just to give you an idea of the length, it's kind of like if you had to walk from Anaheim Stadium to Petco Park in San Diego. That's the distance they had to tra travel. Travel was not easy. And if it indeed was the winter time, it would have been even more difficult. And so this young couple is going for the census. What's interesting is that God sovereignly used the census demanded by Augustus the Caesar to bring Jesus to the place that was prophesied that he would be born. For 700 years before Jesus was born, just think about that for a second, 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephratha is what the verse says. And this is where Jesus would come forth. Ephratha actually means fruitful. Jesus would be born in a place called the house of bread, the the town of David, and he would bring, obviously, the greatest fruit that the world could ever see. Augustus mandated a census, but that census brought them to God's fulfillment of prophecy because Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. And it reminds me that in life, you know, we know the verses, Romans 8, 28, God works how many? All things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his family, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save many people alive. And this arduous, difficult journey for this young couple was actually something that God used to bring Jesus to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. Here's an application for us. Life can get tough. It can get bumpy and difficult. The Christmas season is oftentimes a hard season for people. Uh, they say that, you know, people can get really depressed and suicide rates can get scary and that kind of thing. And what I want to say to you tonight is that no matter what you may be going through, you, you may have put on a Christmas smile, you may have come to church tonight, and maybe, you're, maybe things are not going great for you. I think Joseph and Mary could relate, but I think the overall arching story of the Bible is that God can use even the difficult times and work them together for good, for the greatest good of all. And it came about that while they were there, verse 6, Luke 2, the days were completed for her, for Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Jesus was her firstborn. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Joseph and Mary were very real people going through a very real-life drama. And one of the things that they tried to do is find a place where she could give birth. And so they tried to find an inn. There's some doubt among historians and scholars whether or not there was actually a commercial inn, something like an ancient hotel in Bethlehem. We don't know for sure. Sometimes what happened is families would open up their homes and open it up for pilgrims and visitors. 
There are some uh, people who look at the scripture and say that this may be a, a time of a feast, and if it was a feast time, the city would have been very packed with people. Maybe that's why there was no room in the inn. Oftentimes, pastors have talked about this innkeeper and the missed opportunity that he had. You know, he could have opened up the inn and had the Messiah, the Son of God, born in his inn. That would have been a very famous sign to hang above your door, right, for future, you know, visitors and people who would come to town. The place, the inn, the hotel where Jesus was born. What a missed opportunity. Rats! Have you noticed in life that sometimes you just get one shot at something? You know, I watch a lot of people in life, and I do a lot of ministry, and, and I watch people think that they're going to have multiple opportunities to make things right with the Lord. I watch a lot of people who think they're going to have multiple opportunities to open the door to Jesus, but that's not always true. It doesn't always go the way we expect, and when you have an opportunity to open the door to Jesus, you want to do that. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. By the way, he wrote that to the church. Do you know that there's a lot of Christians that need to reopen the door to Jesus in their everyday life? Jesus is not just asking for a Christmas Eve visit. Amen. He's asking for you to open up the door of your heart to him, and he'll come into your life and change you. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. This is the one who was wrapped in glory. This is the one who was uh, in the heavenly glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he came down now to a place that most agree was probably a cave where they kept animals. Now, many of you have uh, put out nativity scenes, even though nativity scenes are now debated in our world. People get a little troubled when we want to celebrate Christ at Christmas. You know, it's a little tough for some people. But anyway, in your nativity scenes, they're, they're kind of they're cleaned up for modern consumption. But the truth of the matter is, it was probably a very smelly, dirty, ugly place to bring a baby into the world. You'd be trying to boil a lot of hot water, let me just put it that way. This, this, was, this would be a bouquet of smells that wouldn't be the most pleasant, that's for sure. And here is where Jesus comes into the world, not into a palace, but into a cave. And he's laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And in the same region, verse 8, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. The incredible annunciation of the angels about Jesus' arrival was given to shepherds. Very low, by the way, on the scale of people who looked at, you know, uh, uh, you know, levels and, and, and prestige and that kind of thing. And shepherds could really relate to the arrival of Jesus because Jesus Christ is called the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that tonight? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? If you can, then you can claim the rest of that psalm I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You see, the gift that Jesus wants to give you tonight is peace and rest. How many of you need some rest? You've been running, man. Christmas can be hard. You're trying to keep up. You're trying to find that perfect gift for people. 
You know, the perfect gift is already, has already come. <laughs> His name is Jesus. He's the one who takes away our sins. He's the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, 4. Revelation 7, 17 says, Their shepherd, Jesus, shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus is uh, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, according to 1 Peter 2, 25, who gave his life for us. Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. And the Bible teaches that God never sleeps. He doesn't need to. But now Jesus slept, and God had come into the world. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. These shepherds probably didn't have a very exciting life. Can you imagine watching over sheep as a full-time profession? I mean, sheep can be a little bit tough, and, you know, they can bite, and they're kind of dirty, and they're very dumb, by the way. Uh, you know, the Bible does compare us to sheep. And, yeah. You know, sheep have been known to follow each other into open fires. They've been known to follow each other off of a cliff. Looks good. Ah! <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord, you know, maybe the shepherds were like, man, this is such a boring job. These sheep, sick of it. You ever been there on your job? Nothing exciting ever happens around here. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and they had to be freaked out. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I don't know what you would do if an angel showed up, but angels were also involved in the Christmas story. And 1 Peter 1.12 says, Angels long to look into these things, and the angels got to see the arrival of God the Son. I wonder how they processed that. The one who was wrapped in glory, God... He who had the glory with his father before the world was, the one who they bow down and worship now was a baby. What do you think they thought? Wow, look at that. He's a little cool. I wonder if they did the little baby talk. He's a little cool. Hi, Lord. And the shepherds went, wah! Because... Angels, are you guys ready? Are real shiny. <laughs> now, if you're a VeggieTale fan, you know what that voice is from. And if you're not, you need to buy some VeggieTale videos, okay? <laughs> angels are real shiny. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for, how many? All the people. Jesus has come for all people. Sometimes we watch other Christians and we go, it works for them, but I don't know if it's going to work for me. I remember Greg Laurie telling a story about you know, him praying and asking the Holy Spirit to really fill him and, and manifest some spiritual gifts, and he goes, it's going to work for everybody else except me. Do you have that mentality? Every other Christian witnesses except me. Other Christians read their Bibles. I, I'm not a good Christian. But you know what? The gift of Jesus is the gift for all people, and Christmas is a reminder of grace. Everybody know what grace is? Grace is God's unmerited favor 
There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing we do to deserve it. It's simply a gift. By definition, by the way, grace is best defined as a gift. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about the grace of God. It's good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people, including you, my friend. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior. That's why he came. He's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What do you need to be saved from? Your sin. You need to be saved from the consequences of your sin. For the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ is a Savior. He's come to save us from sin and death. Uh, Lifeguards have talked about the fact that when they're going to save somebody who's in trouble and they've gone out into the water and maybe there's a riptide or something, that they have to wait until the person has pretty much exhausted themselves to try to save them or that person will pull them down with them. And so they'll wait and the person will... And then finally, when all strength is gone, the lifeguard will take them and swim them into shore. And oftentimes life is that way. We try to do everything on our own. We believe things like God helps those who help themselves. Where's that in the Bible? Second Opinions, chapter 1, verse 1. That's not a Bible verse. God helps those who know they need help, and he will renew your strength, and you will mount up with wings like eagles. Some years ago, I read an article in the Press Enterprise. It was Laura Monty, a graduate student in biology from Arlington, Virginia. She had asked relatives and friends to donate money to the Nature Conservancy in her name rather than buy her a gift. She said these words, I'm concerned that the, uh, that the events of September 11th and a weak economy are leading reductions in donations to many worthy charities. She said, I've come to realize more than bath soaps, shirts, and earrings, they don't, they don't do a thing to make me content. More than six in every 10 Americans say they want to make this holiday more meaningful than in past years. Now, we can rush by the holidays and just forget how blessed we actually are. We're a very blessed group tonight. So, you know, we can watch little kids rip through the presents, right? One after the other after the other. (laughs) There's like a glaze in their eyes after a little time. But you know what? We don't want to rush past the blessings that God has given us. And this will be a sign, this is an indication for you, you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. You know, speaking of the angels who are about to rejoice, the Bible says the angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents. You want to know what makes angels happy and high five in heaven? It's when one sinner, just one, repents. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. This is all the angels according to verse 15, or there's a large number of them. And they were praising God and saying, all of a sudden, suddenly, a whole choir appears. Some people say they sang, other people said they spoke it. Either way, here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The brief hymn is called the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. It's from the Latin Vulgate translation, meaning glory to God in the highest. Sometimes people who look at the Christian life and the Christian faith, 
They even call our program called the Bible Answer Show, and they say, should we be celebrating Christmas? Does the date have pagan origins? Well, that is a little bit debated. Some, some uh, Christian historians and church fathers believe that was the date, and we could talk about that, but here's the deal. It was good enough for the angels to rejoice, and if it's good enough for the angels, it's good enough for me, amen? So I think we should be celebrating. What we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation, the miracle that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And it came about when the angels had gone away. And I don't know how this all looked, but they, you know, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. Remember the Wizard of Oz when finally somebody, I can't remember who it was, that people come and go so quickly around here. And off they went. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, verse 16. This is the first Christmas rush, by the way. <laughs> and found, they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this or seen him, they made known the statement they spread the word which had been told them about this child. They got there, and they got to see him. I don't know how long they were there. I don't know, how, I don't know if they had to trade off, you know, getting a little crib time. How many of you have had, a, you know, a new grandchild, great-grandchild, born, in, born into the family, and everybody fights over who can hold? Let me hold that baby. You're like, I've had him for 30 seconds. It's my turn. There had to be some tension. And the shepherds peered into the manger. And Mary and Joseph had to be in wonder. It says that all who heard it wondered. One of the things that I would encourage you to pray this Christmas season is, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you in a fresh, new way. I want to know you in deeper ways. You see, this child that was born for us grew to be that man. It doesn't end with a manger. It ends actually at an empty tomb. It's interesting. Scholars say that he was born in a cave and he was buried in a cave. But he left that tomb. And he rose again from the dead in the very history in which we live. And his resurrection is the guarantee that death will not have the final say over those who have trusted in Christ. You see, you can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ if you will put your trust in Him and Him alone. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, if the praise team could hear my voice right now, would you guys come on out? And I'm going to ask them to lead us in a song. Uh, so come on up here, guys, while I finish this text. These are the last few verses. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back. I'm sure they were changed people, excited, praising. And they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. I heard a statistic recently. Someone said that if you invite somebody to a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service, Americans say about uh, one out of every two people would say yes. Why do you think people say yes to an invitation like that? Because we have a sense that life is about much more than we often live for. We have a sense deep in our souls that life 
has much more meaning than we often live for. And we live in a culture that's very blessed and we can get very busy, but this is a time right now and we're just going to be wrapping down and we're going to come to a time of communion. But this is a time when we have an opportunity to open our hearts in a fresh way to Christ. And you know, there were people who intersected with this baby. In Matthew chapter 2, there were religious leaders that should have known, but they didn't. They were indifferent. But there were wise men in the east that saw a star and traveled some 500 miles to make their way to a baby. And they bowed down and worshiped him. King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, the Bible tells us, my friends, my brothers and sisters, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you will call him Lord... If you will say, Jesus, be my Lord, the Bible says that he will save you. Here's the the biblical prescription for a new life. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's throwing the life preserver out, but we gotta hold on to him and be saved by his grace. The Bible says it's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this is not of yourselves, It is what? The gift of God. It's not by works so that no one could boast. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to tell a quick story because I think it's relevant to this moment. A few weeks back, my son was uh, at a stoplight in the city of Corona. He was right over by Crossroads Church near Ontario and Fullerton. And uh, he had had gone out to uh, meet his fiancée and um, they kind of missed each other. So he circled back and he was heading towards the house, and he was at a stoplight at Fullerton in Ontario, and a man passed out in his car, lost control of his vehicle, and plowed into Shane, who's standing right here, and the man was going about 50 to 60 miles per hour. Shane was at a stoplight. There was a car in front of him, a car in the right-hand turn lane, a car over here. He had nowhere to go, and he looked up into the rearview mirror just as he saw the man coming, and it was plain that the man was not going to stop. People had been reporting a drunk driver, but what had happened was the man had gone into some sort of diabetic uh, where he passed out and uh, he lost control of his vehicle, never hit the brakes and plowed into my son's car. Now, praise God, my son walked away. But I want to tell you something. In this life, there's no guarantees. And so when we have a moment like this, the Bible tells us to be saved. And God came in the person of Christ to save us from the wrath to come. You see, God is a holy judge. And I know oftentimes people don't want to hear that, but God is holy, and he will judge sin. But the incredible truth is, the one who judged, would judge us is the one who died for us. The judge took his own judgment at the cross. He came into this world that he might be our Savior and our Lord. But he doesn't want to just save you from the wrath to come, as awesome as that is. He wants to give you life now. Life during life. He called it abundant life in John 10.10. In the first few years of my Christian life, I heard Christians talk about the abundant life, but I wasn't quite sure what it was because I was wrestling with a lot of baggage. The first four or five years of my Christian experience, I was a believer, but I wrestled. I wrestled with all the baggage I had brought into that new relationship. And one by one, God began to remove that baggage. 
It took some time. But he began to show me what abundant life is. And abundant life is not about getting everything for myself. It's not about, you know, all this prowess and trophies that I could gather or what I drive or what I wear or how people perceive me even. That I would find abundant life in being connected and knowing my creator. And the amazing thing, brothers and sisters tonight, is that he wants to come and live inside of you. He knows who you are. He knows how you failed. He knows how many times you've messed up. He knows how many times you've had good intentions and it went south on you. He knows how many times you've tried harder and failed again and again. And you had to look at yourself in the mirror and say, why do I do that? Help me, Lord. And we have a God who says, I will give you the grace that you need if you will open your heart to me. And he's going to ask you to open your heart to him tonight. You don't have to bring anything. There's no good works you can bring. All you have to bring to him is your heart. And say, Lord, give me a new heart and a new start. This Christmas can be a very special time for you. It can mark the rest of your life. Maybe some of you are here and you need to rededicate your life to Christ. If that's you, I would encourage you, just open the door. He's ready to come in. So would you all bow your heads with me in prayer? I'm going to pray for those who would like to open up their heart. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm just going to say if the Lord's spoken to you tonight, you've sensed his spirit. You've sensed your need. You have heard the truth. And Jesus said the, the truth would set you free. It's something like this. Pray it if it's you. Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you that you came to this world as God in human flesh. Thank you that you died on that cross for me because you loved me. I want to turn my life over to you. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Put new life into my heart. Cause me to be born again of your Holy Spirit. If you're here tonight and you need to rededicate your life, you've been away for a long time and you know you've had a missing piece in your life and you want to rededicate your life, something very similar. Lord, I come home tonight. I come back to you. Please heal me of my waywardness, my backsliding. I just want to serve you and I want to know you better. And Lord, for the precious congregation here at Living Truth, so many Faces, I look over this congregation, so many people that I love, so many people who have shown me the love of Jesus Christ over this year and so many years, so many precious relationships in this room, so many people I would have never known had it not been for the common bond of knowing Christ. And I just want to thank you for them. And I pray you'll bless them tonight. I pray you'll bless those who are hurting and sick. I pray that you'll bless those who are feeling a little bit poured out and weak. Pray you'd renew their strength. And as we come to your communion table tonight as one body, would you meet us there, meet us here, and bless and strengthen and give hope and joy and peace to every heart. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.